Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible and join us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7 is where we are Sunday mornings. We are journeying through this book verse by verse, and we are longing that God would be meeting you in His Word. And so it is with that that, again, we've hoped you brought a Bible and you've opened it up. If you did not bring one, there are Bibles around you in the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen. You're welcome to follow along in an app, uh, in, a, in a Bible app that you enjoy. One way or another, we're inviting you to see and hear and God's Word to work inside of you. That's true here. That's true if you're in the overflow online. Here are the invitation to you specifically. Have a Bible. Join us this morning, and may God speak to you through His Word. May do that this morning for all of us. Hey, quick FYI, as we are diving into this this morning, again, we're making our way through 2 Corinthians, and whether it's clear to you or not, we actually are are reaching a juncture of change. We've been making our way through this. We finished chapter 7 today, and that actually changes the thoughts a little bit. There's been a number of thoughts that have been flowing from chapter 2 to chapter 7, as Paul has described and walked through a number of issues, and he's going to switch the gears. And so in the next chapter, he's going to continue changing, and he'll do so again before he gets to the end of the book. But we kind of bring that to completion this morning, and yet it's in that I found it a little bit challenging. Hey, I don't know if it's right or not to point it out to you or not, but I found myself looking ahead, recognizing where we were going to be, and looking at the verses we were going to cover this morning and thinking, huh, I don't know what I'm going to teach from that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the nugget isn't really, really clear. And I got really close into just kind of incorporating it into one of the previous two messages. Like, hey, we'll just kind of like make a quick thing and we'll just read it and be like, okay, that's good. And, and, and it would maybe have been good, but just had a sense that's not what God had and that he had something for us to hear in this. I'm praying that he does that. I'm praying that he would take his truth, that none of it is extra, Everything is there in purpose, and you would hear it, and that he would speak to you this morning. We always need him to do that, uh, but I'm, you know, kind of just presenting again just weakness in that and saying, hey, we need God to speak to us this morning, so would you join me right now? Let's ask him for help in that, that he would help us to hear his voice, uh, and that he would speak even through me. I don't know if you can tell it, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit, so I'm hoping it lasts the whole service, so he can pray for that as well, that somehow just be able to just, God would communicate that which he has for us to hear today. So let's go before him and ask for that. Father, I think about what we have said in song, that we get to rejoice in our weaknesses and in our weakness to find you to be strong. Would you do so now, even in very present things, just giving me a voice even to the end of this service? But God, more than that, I'm longing that we'd hear your voice We approach this section of Scripture, and Lord, just believing that everything you gave us is good. There's not anything that's redundant. There's not anything that lacks punch or power. Your Word is alive. It is active. It is powerful, and I believe that, and so I'm asking that you would give us ears to hear, that we would respond to you and you would speak to us, that there would be a sense of just hearing your voice this morning, and that would happen together, but that would happen personally. God, would you take your truth and help us to understand it? Help us understand what you're saying to each of us in a way that doesn't just wash over us and go past us, but connects and works into our lives this morning. Give us the ability to hear your voice. 
work in this moment. We ask for it now as we trust you in this time, and we do so together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joy. Joy, yeah, joy is what I want to talk to you about this morning as we travel in this passage, as he's going to speak about it again and again of joy and rejoicing. And I want to offer to you this morning just an avenue of joy that God would want to bring in your life. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you don't need it. If if you're one of those people that you have enough joy in your life, uh, you can leave. I mean, I just want to tell you, hey, you'll be the only one. You'll be the only one. But hey, we'll all then know. Just kidding. Um, I don't know if you could just begin with me honestly and say, well, I'd like more of that. I mean, I, I understand the Bible talks about joy. And I would look at it and say, God, I, I would like to know more of what that looks like. And that's how I want to offer it to you this morning, an avenue of joy, a space where God would offer to work joy into your life in a significant and real way. Well, before we begin working through our passage, though, I want to frame uh, this understanding of where we're going in a, in a very simple way. And, and I don't in any may, way mean to be uh, dismissive or flippant or silly, but it didn't begin with me. I, I just have always kind of found it helpful to think through that idea of joy almost as an anacronym, just kind of looking at this and saying, okay, when we think about what it is, sorry, quick understanding, joy is bigger than just joy. It's the idea of, of, of enjoy and joyful and rejoicing. Going back to that, it's a nice thing about slides every now and then. It can catch you when you kind of get ahead of yourself, and so I just got ahead of myself. So let me back up and just say, hey, I I, I throw this out to you in one sense to tell you, well, maybe when you think about joy, it's more than just a single word. It's the heartbeat behind so many of them. When we think about enjoying, I don't think there's anybody here that's like, oh, I don't want to enjoy life. No, but there is joy. Enjoy has the idea of being in the middle of joy. To be joyful means to be full of joy. To rejoice means to joy again in in things that God has. And so we think about what that looks like. And now going where I was going, I like to think about it in one sense, in that simple understanding that it is Jesus, others, yourself. Hey, joy really in many ways is a simple understanding that it is this. And again, not in any way just being dismissive or flippant or silly But I think it's powerful for you to understand it this way, that this is both an order, this is a priority, that it has to flow in this way. It's a way that joy works. Get it wrong, and you will get it wrong. We're going to talk about the second part of that this morning. We're going to spend some time talking about how we find joy in and through others. But before we go there, I just felt it necessary to say, You can't really get there unless you go through the first part, and in many ways, it's the greatest space, that when we think about joy, joy is found in Jesus. Joy is found in God. I think about Jesus in John 15, where he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. My joy, Jesus says. I don't know if you see Jesus that way, but I just want to quickly tell you the Bible unpacks Jesus as a man who's full of joy. Tells us in Hebrews uh, 1 that he says, because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness, God had poured out on him a spirit of gladness or a spirit of joy more than anybody else, more than all of his companions. Because of who he was, he was a man of joy. If you were to have met him, 
if you were to have met him in that day, even without knowing, you would have just kind of sensed it. Like, Here's a man who has joy. I mean, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but that's a good thing. And Jesus says, I want you to have my joy. I want you to have my joy. And my joy would be maximum in your life. It would be joy to the full. I want you to have that. And it's found in God. It's found in who he is. We think about that repeated admission through the scriptures that it says, like in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The joy is first and foremost found in finding ourselves joying in God, finding him to be that source of joy. I like the way it gives it to us in Psalm 5, where it says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Yeah, it's a space where he's saying if you would trust God and you would find your life trusting him and knowing that God's your defense and you would love him, there's this space where joy kind of just, just moves into your life because of the relationship you have with God. In fact, I think about it this way. One of my favorite verses that describe it is there in Psalm 16 where David says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maybe once more, I'm just reasoning with you. Maybe you believe this. Maybe when you think about God and you think about Jesus, you just would recognize it would be so. But maybe for some of you, you just have a, a more inaccurate picture that you almost picture if I was like really close to God, it would be like boring and sober and difficult. And I just want to tell you, that's not our God. He says that if you would be near him in his presence to be as close to him as you can be, that's joy to the max. It's joy to the full. It's so in our lives now, it will be into eternity. That's pleasurable. That is to the space that it would be that way where he longs for us in that. Hey, one more verse that says it, I think about it in 1 Peter, where he says that, you know, that when we think about Christ, who he is, whom we have not yet seen, though you do not see him, though we don't yet see him physically, but we believe and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. That's a great description. It's this idea that if you had to define it, it's like, it's more than words. It's bigger, it's more powerful, it's glorious, it's good, and that is what God has for us. And I want you to know that and want you to say, hey, understand this, this is what we have in him. It's what's available in him. It's what we who know him will have with him for all eternity, and you cannot have it any other way. So we're going to think about what this looks like this morning. I just want to begin there and just say, if you're here this morning and you're outside of this, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of this works for you. Not anything we're going to say does it. It has to be there. You have to have a relationship with him, that he is the source of joy, that what joy is in our life flows through him. And so think about it this way. And again, I kind of pardon my like silly reasoning, but I was just thinking this through. And so I was kind of imagining it. And I was thinking, okay, so you have this idea of joy. If you take away the first, if you don't have Jesus, you just have oi. You know, it's just like, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know, that's not, it's like, oi, I don't know what you do with that. It's kind of that space, and yet it's kind of accurate. 
leave out Jesus. Don't have him. And it's as if you just find yourself almost looking at the world and, oi, like, I don't know what to do with that. You know? But it's even more than that because you leave that out the second as often. Not really there. You take away even this idea of loving others and all you're left with is why. And honestly, that's a good description. For so many people in our world who don't know Jesus, when it really gets down to it and they try to wrestle with life, it's just, why? Why do it, why? Why, why is it? I mean, there's no hope, there's no meaning, and I'm just telling you, if you're outside Jesus, that makes sense. Because that's not where it's found. It's only found in knowing him. And so we invite you to a relationship with him. We invite you to that and let you know there is no other why. But don't misunderstand me. That doesn't say, if you know Jesus, that this is now fully operative in your life. No, honestly, it isn't. For most of us, we would understand, I'm not yet walking in that. Fullness of joy, joy unspeakable, full of glory, it doesn't necessarily define all that I am. There's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's because we have all three of these, we just have them out of order. Hey, for some of us, it's because we have still made ourselves number one. We still look on ourselves and we put ourselves above everything else. And it sounds almost counterintuitive because you would think if you make your life about you and you being happy, that you would be the happiest person that could ever be. But the Bible tells you it's the other way around. Put yourself first and you'll be miserable. Put yourself first in your life. Make the world about you and watch it squint your joy. Jesus says, for the one who you know, is striving to gain your life, you lose it. You, you work so hard, like, I just want, he says, you, you're going to lose it. But if you would lose it, if you would say, okay, I'm going to put myself last, he says, you find it. it the, the, the way that God has made us is not to be there. And for some of you right now, what's the reason you don't have joy is because you have made the world about you. And when it's about you, it robs all other things. God is inviting you to, you know, push that down and say, it's not about me. First and foremost, it's about Jesus. First and foremost, it's about God. And you need to have that there. You need to have that, and that gets you closer. But again, for some of you, if we could, you know, kind of do a, you know, snapshot of your heart, if we could look at how you're doing spiritually, your order of joy would be this. Maybe you do love Jesus, and then you love you. Other people, not so much. You know, it's like other people, no, I mean, I, I, love, I, like, I like Jesus, and, you know, but then it's about me. But I'm telling you again that that order doesn't work. You still don't get joy. You still don't get that whole space. God is inviting you to the place of where you'd humble yourself, where you would do, as it says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, that you would esteem others as better than yourself. You would put yourself in that space where you'd say, hey, my life is about loving God, loving people, and then enjoying whatever God just does inside of me. You know, that there is that space, but my priority system kind of flows that way, and it needs to be that way. Outside of that, you will never have the joy that God has for you. Okay, that's the framework. That's the framework of what we're, you know, kind of presenting to us this morning. I want you to feel the entirety of it, knowing that that place of Jesus first, you know, putting yourself last, it's key. So leaving that with you, we just want to talk about that middle space, that when we think about what this looks like, when we think about how that works into our lives, there is this space where part of the way that God would like to give you and I joy is through others. 
through, through what he would do in the midst of that, that he's inviting us to that. And that is what we have exampled for us in these verses. That is exactly what he's going to present to us. And so let's notice it that way. If you have your Bibles there, pick it up, chapter 7. Paul's writing in this section, and I want to read it through with you, and I'm going to do my best to emphasize just the repeat, repeated kind of uh, expression that it's about them. His constant kind of pointing that it's about who they are, speaking of the church there in Corinth. So let's read it and kind of note that as we work our way through. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true, and his affections are greater for you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, and how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice and have confidence in you and everything. Yeah, if you're just tracking that through, it's, it's you, it's you, it's them. It's others that Paul is kind of just laying out here, and he's talking about the joy that he found and has in that. And so let's work our way through that, and I want to show you five things. Five things that uh, may be helpful as we think about this joy in others that Paul shows us here that can work in you. Hey, the first one is this space where he finds joy that is for them and in them and others. What do you mean, Jim? Well, you notice what it says. It says it in the, the beginning in verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. Pausing there. Hey, if you've been with us, this is a reminder. We've already talked about this. He had told us back in verse 6 that he was downcast. He was blue. He was struggling with depression and just a space that just kind of had, had cast his life down for a moment. Go and notice it there in verse 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast. How was he downcast? Back up for a moment to verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were exhausted. We were physically spent. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by his consolation, which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So Paul had been having a bad space. I mean, it was one of those places where he was just feeling the weight of discouragement, and it had kind of just clouded out his day. But one of the things that rescued him was when he heard the news of what was happening in the church there in Corinth. Titus had gone, and Titus had come back now, and just not only Titus's presence, but his report of what was happening in them had brought to Paul a space that kind of lifted his spirits brought him out of the doldrums because of what he heard. Now, this is powerful because we think about this and maybe the key that I want to present to you here is being able to joy in others for their joy that has no connection to you. 
We're definitely called to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? That's what he tells us in that familiar passage in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That there's supposed to be this connection in the body of Christ where we can do this. And he says there's a space where others are finding joy. You can joy with them, for them, for, for what that is. And I want to present that to you as a source of joy in your life. Now, let me do my best to kind of say it this way. I'll probably say it a couple times more this morning in a different way, but I want to be very careful how I say this. There is a way of living for others that has you doing good to other people, and that's a good thing. Please do not hear anything I'm about to say that makes light of that. If we love God and we love people, it should play out in things that we do, and I'm so proud of you guys. I love watching what you all do as a fellowship. I know some of you who serve over in Harvest Ministries and you help out there, some with the Homeless Coalition, some of you, you know, even have, have you know, passed out meals this week with the Salvation Army, some of you do incredible things that are reaching out to other people, and I love watching you do that, and if you do that, where you do that, that should give you a sense of joy. But here's the dangerous thing that is also present in that moment. Part of the joy in doing such things is it is enjoyable doing it. I mean, to actually find yourself loving people and being a source or a conduit into their life where maybe you're helping them, that's a good thing. And it can really be loving them. But honestly, if you've done that, if that's something you do in your life, it's actually, it feels good. There's a little bit of the reward that you did something that, that impacted somebody else. It's not a bad thing. But I'm offering you a joy this morning that is not that. What do you mean, Jim? Well, for Paul, he didn't cause this, and he's not going to be the immediate recipient of it. I mean, maybe later it would be if it plays out that way. It's not where he gets his joy in this moment, though. He is simply joyed because they're doing well. He is simply joyed, not because of something he did or something that he's getting, he simply finds joy in hearing that they're doing well in a city that is not even near him right now, that he didn't do, he's not going to get anything from this, but that they're doing well brings him joy. Now, that just might make sense. Maybe I'm just, you know, overemphasizing this, but I'm going to tell you that for some of us, we don't even think about it that way. Maybe because, maybe, maybe Jesus is first, but then it's kind of like that why is second, and so we only find joy in Jesus or what we get to be a part of. But to find ourselves thinking, can I find joy in something that I didn't do? It's not going to benefit me in any way, but I'm just going to find joy in that. Well, that would be a powerful thing. Now, if you do this, the only way that you can do this then is to be the one that's listening to it and hearing it. That's what Paul had done. You can go back there and see it as he says it there in verse 7. He says, he found this comfort not only by Titus's coming, but also by the consolation which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal. Hey, what brought Paul this good news? He just listened. He listened to what was happening. He heard what was happening there, and as he heard what that was, it brought him joy. I don't know how this would work in your life. I'm just inviting you to it. 
to be one that would ask the questions, listen for it, not just for something that, that benefits you or that you're going to gain from, but that you can just hear and say, I, I want to be able to joy in those things that have nothing to do with me and have nothing to do with where that is. And that is an, an avenue of joy that really everything else is going to flow from this morning. So again, this is not the only space of joy. There's joy in God. Yes, there's joy in serving. Those are the kind of the J and the Y and other things around this. But we want to talk about an avenue of joy that you can find in others. But it has to begin here. It has to begin in a place where you could say, I don't have to gain anything. It doesn't have to be something I'm doing. But I can find joy. In fact, as we think about that joy, notice how else he describes it there in verse 13. He says, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Yeah, the joy he's speaking about, he describes it as an exceeding joy, a joy that is exceeding. How so? Well, it was Titus's joy. It wasn't Paul's. He says, as he says this there, we are exceedingly, we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. His fellow worker who had gone to the city of Corinth, he says, when Titus was joyful, when he found joy, and he found joy because his spirit was refreshed there, his soul, his being around the people there had met him in joy. And Paul now hears this and he says, we rejoiced exceedingly. We had exceedingly joy in this. And that's a powerful term that I just want you to think about for a moment because exceeding joy is a big description. It's bigger than I could even put into words right now. To say something's exceeding, it has the idea of it's a far surpassing joy. It's a joy that's a, just a huge, a, a big joy. And it's not a minor thing. It's not a trivial thing. And maybe I'm just appealing to you. Maybe I'm just telling you, if, if you have not found this to be so, it could be that you'd hear me and go, well, Jim, I could imagine there's a little bit of joy. Uh, there's a tiny bit of joy uh, to be found in hearing what God is doing in other people's lives that has no benefit to me that I didn't do. And yeah, I could imagine that there's a, a little joy there. Paul says it's exceeding joy. It's a massive joy. It's a joy that is worth your getting attention and just you know, hey, if you bypass this, hey, if this isn't there, you're passing up a supply of exceeding joy. You're passing up that which could say, hey, could bring you just a, a big space of joy that would be in the midst of that. And he's telling us that's what he found, just an exceeding joy in the things that were there. Wow. Then he adds a thought that is helpful. He says it there in verse 14, for if anything... I have boasted to him about you. I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. So the thought is that the joy that he's talking about is a real joy. It's a joy that's true. Now he unpacks it this way by saying that he had boasted to Titus about the church there in the city of Corinth. So again, in those days, Paul had planted the church there in Corinth, and now he sent Titus back to deliver a letter and to carry a message from him. And it's worth noting that when Paul had talked to Titus about the church in Corinth, he boasted about them, which is, by the way, a really cool thing. If you've been with us so far in the book of Corinthians, it might even be surprising 
because things have not gone overly well right now between him and the church in Corinth. There had been some misunderstandings. Uh, there have been some weird accusations. There have been some attacks against the, uh, Paul and his character. And yet he's responded in a way that's still doing it well. And he's still proud of them. He's still saying, hey, I, I'm so excited with what God is doing in you. I'm so excited uh, over what that is. And all by itself, that's a good place to go to. He's excited for them. And then he lets us know that he wasn't ashamed, uh, that Titus found it to be exactly that way. Hey, notice how he again just describes it. Verse 14, for if in anything I have boasted to him, to Titus, about you, I am not ashamed. Not embarrassed. It didn't prove to be untrue, as he would say at the end of the verse, because our boasting to Titus was found true. Probably makes sense, but it might be helpful just to think about it this way, because we've probably all experienced this maybe in a small way. Have you ever boasted to somebody about something? Something you really like? Let's say it's a restaurant. You know, something small. Just comparatively small, but as you ever like, oh, this is a great restaurant. You should go and try it. Have you ever done that and then been nervous about it afterwards? Like, I hope they find it to be so. Like, I hope when they go to the restaurant that they don't go there and go, man, you like this? I was sick for a week, man. It's just, I mean, you're just like, I hope, I mean, I hope that, you know, when I gave them a good recommendation, when I boasted about that, I hope when you follow up on that, that I won't have to be ashamed. I won't have to be embarrassed that I boasted. Paul says, I, I wasn't ashamed. I, I wasn't ashamed because he found it to be so. Now, that's a good space, and if we only stopped there, we would say, well, that's situational. Um, yeah, that's just because it was a good day that, that Titus found them, but, but what Paul says is it's something a little bit more than that. As he thinks about this reason why he wasn't ashamed, why he could boast, and it would be working that way, he ties it into a really cool thought. So feel it again. Verse 14, if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Everything they spoke was truth. The boasting was found true. And so the idea is that it's encompassed in truth. And so he says everything we are is rooted in truth. Everything that we offer in Christ is, is absolutely true and, and good to be so. Then we think about who we are. We are a people of the truth. Jesus is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we speak it, we're speaking things that are true. And so what he's telling us right now is that the joy that we're talking about, the hope that we're talking about, it's real. It's true. How do I say this better? If you are hearing me wrong, it would almost come out to be a matter of perspective. That it would sound like I'm just, you know, kind of encouraging you in that kind of age-old, hey, is the glass half full or half empty kind of thing? You know, if you'd have a better perspective on things, you would find it to be better. As if somehow it would just be your, your, the, the way that you see it. Uh, would change the reality. But he's saying that's not it at all. What we find is true. And when we think about what the Christian message is and what we are, we're not offering a placebo. We're not offering something that just maybe, we're offering something that's rooted in, in fundamental truth and reality, and it's found true. 
there's a whole bunch of things in our world that are false joys. I would think about things like alcohol, drugs. Uh, some of you have walked through those roads or you have people in your life that are doing that now. And here's the thing. For a moment, for a moment, there is a false joy. When somebody gets drunk, when somebody sometimes gets high, there's a moment where they find themselves like, this is great. It's just not true. So the moment they come down, it's gone. And not only was it not true, now it's worse. Now they've made a mess of something. Maybe in that weird space they said things that were not true or, or they did things that are not true. And that's a moment of shame. That's a place where you would say, hey, for a moment I thought the world was great and now I've come out of that you know, space and it was a lie and it was no hope to me at all. And now I'm worse off than I was before. And there are so many spaces that have that in life. It's not this. We are not offering you something that is not rooted in truth, that is absolutely true because Jesus is true. And so what Paul is saying is this joy that he has, this hope that he has, this expectation, this boasting, it's, it's rooted in something that is fundamentally real. And it's so real. You might not fully appreciate it. You might not even always understand it. It doesn't change what it is. It doesn't change that it's true and it's good. As we get close to that, it grabs hold of us, but it's wonderful that it is so. So that when we think about this joy that he's offering to us, it is gloriously real and true. Wow. Okay, so we're getting closer, right? I mean, I hope you're tracking. So this is a joy that we have in others, a real source of joy, an exceeding source of joy that is absolutely true. But then he tells us a little bit more. Verse 15, and his, that is Titus, affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how that with fear and trembling you received him. So the joy that Paul is talking about is a joy in affections, a joy for affections that are in others. Let's talk a little bit about that. So we, we think about this, and so he looks on Titus, and he says that when Titus had met the church, when he'd seen the church there, and they'd seen how they were doing, Titus finds himself that his affections were greater. It's as if his heart grew three sizes that day. Is it too soon to kind of use like a Christmas kind of a thing? You know, yeah, it's probably too soon. And somebody like, man, I don't even know. But it is that. I mean, it is kind of that idea of this moment where, yeah, Titus loves him more. And he uses this really cool word of affections that speaks of a heart, but it's more than that, a, a deep place of this. I find myself thinking of um, Jonathan Edwards, who wrote uh, the book Re Religious Affections that talk about the heart that we have for Christ, the love that we have for him, and, and the wonder that's a part of that. And he says, Titus's heart, his affection for the church, his, his, his embracing of the church grew. Why? What made Titus this moment love them so much, finding his heart expanding for them? We'll notice it again. And his affections are greater for you as... He remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Because they were walking in obedience, because they're doing what God said to do, and they did so with fear and trembling. Hey, it's a large subject, but if you're a student of the scriptures, you would recognize that. 
Those words, fear and trembling, are a great description for a right response to a holy and just and perfect God. That we would come before Him, and it would say in Philippians, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that He is at work in us, you know, that, that He's that one that's doing that, but we do so in this place that we recognize His greatness. It would say it to us this way in Psalm 2, it serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's like you're going to serve Him and you're going to find great joy, but there is this space of like, God, you're God. I mean, Jesus, you're glorious. You're great. He gives it to us this way in the book of Isaiah. On this one, God says, I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Hey, that's a good description. It's a space of God saying, hey, you know who I'm looking at? You know who has my focus right now? Is they're walking in obedience, they're trembling at my word, they recognize who I am. It's a good description of doing life well. This picture of obedience with fear and trembling, it's a really good picture. It's like, okay, this isn't a sham. This isn't just them, you know, being hypocritical, you know, trying to look good. They're doing it with a sense of a holy God, a righteous God. It's a really good description. And it's in that description that I just want to highlight this. The source of Paul's joy, it's because of what's happening spiritually. The source of the joy that we're talking about this morning, both its source and its impact, are, are spiritual. The source is because they're doing well. They're obeying Jesus in fear and trembling, and its impact is that Titus's heart grew because they were doing so well. Hey, the source of this joy is spiritual. Now, I want to just chase that down just for a second, but before I do that, I want to make sure I'm not trying to create some weird dichotomy, as sometimes people will do, and they'll say, hey, there's a difference between spiritual and natural or, you know, that which is godly and the rest of our life. No, we are meant to give all of our life to God, and there's joy to be found in Him. Hey, you can go outside and joy in a beautiful sunset. You can joy in the, in the crazy, beautiful, just fall colors happen around us, and you can respond to God well in that. Hey, you can enjoy a good meal. Maybe some of you did for Thanksgiving, and you found yourself really thankful, like, God, thank you for taste buds. Thank you for the ability to enjoy these really good things. Hey, you can joy in good things that happen in people's lives. Whether they get married or they have a child, hey, those are moments of genuine joy. And they are genuine joy that is not disconnected from this. That you can say, God, I'm so grateful for this. But if you have all of that and there's not a spiritual life happening in that person, the joy is so muted because it misses everything. Think of Jesus who said, you could have the whole world, and yet if you lose your soul, what good is that? What, what good is it if you're successful and you have a good marriage and you have good kids and, and, and you enjoy, but you don't, you're, you're not saved? That's an empty space, and, and, and it's ultimately a place that all joy is drained out. So I'm talking to you about not just those kinds of things of joy in others, but a joy for how people are doing spiritually. There's a space that what he's offering us here is the, this joy we can have is joy for how God is at work in other people's lives. I think about it this way in 3 John. He would say it this way. I have no greater joy 
than to hear that my children walk in truth. So this is John the Apostle who's writing this. Is he talking about his physical family or is he talking about his spiritual family? Well, it's not entirely clear, but probably the latter. Probably he's talking about those who have come to Christ under his ministry and under his influence and spaces that are in that, and so he's talking about it that way. Nevertheless, it applies into physical family as well. So let's just toss it out on the table. If you're here this morning and you're a parent and your kids are doing well, like they are walking obediently with fear and trembling, can I just say what you probably already know? That is incredible joy. That is joy. That is no greater joy than that. For some of us, you could get there and go, I can die now. Like, that's all I really need. I, if my kids are doing well, there's such incredible joy there. Now, it doesn't say it, but I think it's well to say that the inverse is also true. If you're here this morning and you have children, physical children, and they're not doing well, like they're not walking obediently in fear and trembling, there's a sorrow there that is just, it's deep. And, and there's something that's there, and I'm not trying to you know, you know, make you feel that or, or, or bring condemnation. Sometimes it's just good to know that it's there. It's like, I know what that feels like. That's the problem. Like, that's what I really want for my kids, and when that's not there, it brings me sadness, and it's, and it's so... Well, I leave that not as a place of spending more time on it, except just to call it out and say, if you feel it, you're not alone. But I want you to come back and understand there is this incredible space that you're invited to have joy in people that aren't necessarily your family. That, that you, you know, in the midst of what we've talked about, you didn't do it. It's not going to benefit you, but you're so excited for them. You're excited because they're doing well, because they're doing well with Christ, because they're doing well in this space where you can look upon that and hear about it, and, and it has nothing to do with you. Maybe it's happening on the other side of the world. Maybe it's happening in another state. Maybe it's happening in another church in our town right now, and you would be able to say, you know what? I don't care what church you go to. I don't, I don't, I, if you're going to walk with Jesus... And you're going to walk obediently to him. And if you're, I'm over, I just find incredible joy. I find incredible joy because you're doing well. Because you're walking well in him. That's what he's telling us we can do. He's telling us there's a joy that is a real source of joy. A real source of joy where you can be excited over what's happening in other people's lives spiritually. Because that's, that's, that's genuine. That's real joy. And that's a place where you can have joy. But maybe there's one more key that will help you. Maybe you're close to it. Maybe you begin to feel what I'm saying right now. But honestly, there, there may be something that's keeping it from fully moving into force. And that's what he ends with. So go back and see it. It says, therefore, in verse 16, I rejoice. Like I have so much joy that I have confidence in you and everything. So there's a joyful confidence Paul has as he's kind of speaking to this about the, the, the church there in Corinth. And there's a little bit there that's just based on his experience with them, his relationship with him. And I just want to not make sure I don't rush past this. For them to read this, this would have been encouraging. 
for them to hear this from the Apostle Paul would have been loving. And it would have been Paul saying, I mean, I, I love what God is doing in you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm excited for you because of that. In fact, I would like to just kind of make it my words to you for a moment. I absolutely love this church. I love you. I am so proud of those who are here, who sit here, who soak up the word of God. Some of you just, just wrapped with attention, some taking notes. I love to see it at work in your lives. I love to see things that are happening inside of you. I love to see the steps of obedience that some of you are taking. I love to see that some of you are doing so because you love God. You're not doing so just to impress people. You're doing so in the fear and trembling of God. You're like, God is good, and I should live my life for him, and, and I'm proud. I mean, and I have, I have a confidence because I know you. I've been able to be at this church for the space I've been in, and I can feel a little bit of that, and I just want to communicate it to you. I hope you hear that. And not to rob that of what I just said, but if that's all we had, it would be very scary. Why? Well, because, well, what if you don't do well? What if you don't work? What if you, you don't always walk in the way that you should do? Is my confidence based in you? Well, no. The wording of confidence scripturally is always based in God. That we think about confidence, it's not in people, but our confidence is in Him. Hey, think it through this way. Bunches of verses I could give you, but I'll begin with maybe one of those most well-known ones, where it says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Hey, it's a great, great verse, 100%. If you're a follower of Jesus, I mean a real follower, if you're one who is called according to God's purpose, and that's true for every Christian, here's what I know. Everything, everything in your life is going to work together for good. Even when you make a bad choice, even when you make a, a go a wrong way, God will redeem it. I mean, might miss some things he can do, but it's still this place of confidence in our God, and I can look and say, that's 100% certain. Everything, everything in, in you is going to go that way. That gives me confidence. More than that, I think about how he would say it in, in 2 Thessalonians, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command. He says, my confidence is God's work in you. Or let's say it again in one of those really popular verses and try to put it into our lives. So Philippians 1, 6, some of you know it by heart, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. Hey, can I just tell you this about you for a moment? If God has begun a good work in you, if you're saved, if you're genuinely his, he has never ever, ever going to give up on you. Hey, we talked about it last time. We were talking about a little bit of that, that, that weight of discouragement and our enemy who comes in as a flood, and, and he comes in with voices of discouragement. And we talked about last time being able to discern the difference between condemnation and conviction. And can I just tell you that voice of condemnation that would say to you, boy, I'm about done with you. Like, like, you're on your last straw, buddy. Like, one more time, and, and, and I'm, God would never, never. You might make some bad choices. 
I'm not encouraging that, by the way. But he will never give up. That which he has started, he is going to complete. That which he has begun in you, it's going to carry through to the end because our God is that good. And you should feel that confidence even as it washes over you. And it would be right that if you heard it that way. But that's not how Paul's saying it. Paul's not saying this about his life. He's saying it about the way that he sees the church in Philippi there, the same way he's saying it here when he speaks about the church in Corinth, that he's able to look at them and say, I'm confident. I'm confident if God started something in you, he is never, ever, ever going to quit. He's going to carry you to the end. I'm confident in you that way. And so God is inviting you and I to have this perspective when we think about other people, when we think about the work of God in their lives. Now, again, let's just be clear. That's really powerful. And maybe you knew that, but maybe, like some of us, we have such a propensity to be so selfish that every time we read the Bible, we only see us. Like we read, you know, Philippians 1, 6, and it's like, oh, God, who started a good work in me, he's not going to, you know, quit till the day of Christ. And, and, it's, and it's true. But this isn't just about you. It's about how you see the body of Christ, how you see what God is doing in other people's. Now, what makes this so important, what makes this so powerful is it makes joying in what God is doing in other people possible. It lets that really be a space of joy. Maybe it's happened to you. I'm just going to be honest with you. I believe this, and I'm trying to believe this. I, like, I know this, and I just want to believe it a little bit more, because here's how it happens for me. I can get excited when I see God working in somebody's life. Like, they're beginning to follow Jesus, and they love him, and they're trying to serve him. I can get really excited, and like 10 seconds later, I can get worried. Oh, no, what if they don't keep going? I mean, I know they're doing it today, but what about tomorrow? I mean, what if they don't stay going? I mean, what? I mean, yeah, I know they're doing good today, but oh my goodness, I mean, what if they, what if they don't keep going? And, 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 and that fear can totally decimate my joy. It can totally make it so I can't enjoy the present because I'm worried about the future. I can't enjoy what's happening right now because I'm so worried it won't stay. And yet what Paul's able to say is, if God's doing it, it's going to stay. And if I'm really excited about it, if it's true, if it's genuine, it's good, and I can trust him. I can step into it and say, you know what, I can just enjoy today and say, God, hey, the future is yours, but I have a confidence that God who started it is going to complete it, that God who is doing these things, he'll keep doing it. I don't know about anybody else. I'm just going to be clear. My lack of sometimes being able to do this keeps me from enjoying the things I know. The good things I get to hear about some of you, the good things I get to hear about happening around the world. When I hear something happen, it's just one of those immediate places like, well, okay, well, we'll see how this plays out. You know, let's give it six months and see if they're still doing good. Then I'll get excited. I don't want to get too excited right now, you know, because I don't know. Instead of saying, God, if this is you, I'm so excited. If it's not you, you know, then it'll go away and that's fine. But I can joy in God, I can say, God, this is a good space. I can be excited over what God is doing because I can have a confidence in Him. 
That confidence enables me to actually enjoy what he's doing in others. So let's just think about this as a total. So we've talked about things, five things that I told you would be helpful that would be a source of great joy in your life. A joy that God wants you to know. A joy that you can have. It's not a joy that you did or are doing or are going to get anything out. It's just a joy in other people. A really good joy. Because it's real. Because it's true. Because it's based in this. Because it's godly. Because it's God's affection and God's obedience in this. And you can trust that God who started it is going to be there. Those things all there, it can grab hold of a joy that you can say, this is good. Hey, this, is, this, this makes me happy. I mean, I'm, I'm just enjoying you know, this because I'm so glad with what God is doing in somebody's life. That's a good spice. It's a real joy. Hey, let's put it together with the whole we think about it. So that's one of the spaces of joy, this place where we can joy in others. Christ first, others second, even ourselves as a part of it, but in that right order. So I guess I want to present it to you this way. This is available to you. Maybe you're doing really well. Maybe you're like, Jim, I got it. I, this, that's joy in my life, doing super well at that. Or maybe you'll be honest enough to say, huh, that's not something I'm totally participating in right now. I mean, I'm not fully finding the joy that this seems to offer. Well, he's telling us how. And some of it is because maybe things are out of whack in you. Maybe there's a space that's in you that you're enjoy it because it's out of sort. And he's inviting you to sort it out. And I'll begin by just saying you can't have any of this without Jesus. You just can't have any of this without Jesus. He is the joy. He is the source of real, eternal joy. It's not found anywhere else. If you don't know him, You'll never have this. You can't be excited about what's happening in other people's lives spiritually without having this from him. And if that's you this morning, I ask you to be there. Begin with a relationship with Jesus and then step towards this. But I know I'm talking to some of you here this morning. It's like you do know Jesus, but this is still messed up. And I want you just to understand it's probably because something's out of order inside of you. And so I'm going to give you two illustrations that are just silly, and I hope one of them lands. I'd like you to imagine in one sense, like a solar panel, you know, a solar panel that's meant to collect the sun that's there. And, you know, for that to work, the solar panel's got to be faced in the right direction. In fact, I don't know about some of you. I like to drive around, you know, you can drive around town, you can see these whole solar panel fields. Some of the fun thing is just, it's silly fun, I guess. But you kind of watch the solar panels kind of track with the sun, you know, like they're built in a way that as the sun moves, they move to fully allow the light to come in, or they're supposed to. I mean, there's a bunch of broken ones out there. Uh, But that's kind of actually a good picture for me because it's like, oh, that's probably us. Like, we should be tracking with the sun. Like, we should be moving with him. Instead, we're, we're broken. And sometimes that's really the problem. We're faced in the wrong direction. It's not that the joy is not there. It's not that what God is offering us isn't there. But somehow we're just not facing in the right direction. So maybe you need to come and say, okay, is Jesus first? Is he the source of joy? Can I find joy in others that has nothing to do with me? But I can be excited for what God is doing in their life. Can I be in that place that those things come more important than me? If I can. It's as if I'm positioning myself to receive that joy. Hey, change the scenario. For some of you, the solar panel thing isn't working. Think about it like a kite or a sail. 
you know, in a similar way, here's this kite or sail that you're trying to catch the wind and the wind is blowing, but man, you don't put it together. You don't put it together right and you put it out there and the thing just kind of flops around on the ground or moves around. It's, it's because you're not positioning it well. If you stretch it out well so that the sail or the kite is taut and right in the right directions and you position it in the right thing, man, that wind will come and it'll catch it and carry it to where it's supposed to go. I'm telling you, there's joy deep-seated, joyous, wonderful things. And if you're not flying in that, it's not that the joy is not working. We're not working. We're broken. There's something inside us that's not positioned right uh, in a way that maybe we're living selfishly or maybe we're not loving what God is doing in others the way we can. And there's just a good space to come and say, God, I'd like to reorient I'd like to orient so that I can have this joy that Paul speaks about that's an exceedingly good joy. So let's do this. Let's close. Dig your Bibles, close them if you haven't already. And I just want to ask you just to present yourself to him. Maybe, again, you don't know him. And it's this moment that you need to get saved. We pray that you would. But maybe you do. And you're just here this morning and you would say, man, I'm not I'm not, I don't feel it. I, I mean, I know I'm supposed to. I know I should have joy. But I don't feel it in the right way. And maybe you just would ask God, what's wrong? Like, what's out of order? Like, what, what piece needs to shift? What things would draw you into that space where, where you would find yourself being able to enjoy life, enjoy Him, and enjoy what God is doing in others? It's a real source of joy. It's a heavenly source It tells us that the angels in heaven, you know, they rejoice over one sinner who repents. More than 90 90 people that are already saved. I mean, heaven is enjoying this kind of joy. That they just get excited when, when people are doing the right thing and stepping in the right directions. And if you're not, you can. But maybe you just have to come and say, God, fix me. Reorient me. Help me to be in the right space that I can step into that joy. So you take a moment, talk to him about that. I'll do the same, and then we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I want to pray for those right now that don't know you. And the reality is that they had the whole world. If everything went well for them in their their family, in their marriages, in their jobs, and they don't have you, it's nothing. Well, if they don't have you, everything else dissipates. 
God, I pray for it right now that you would awaken them to their great need of finding joy unspeakable and full of glory, that in your presence is joy. I pray that you'd invite them to, 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 to that, Lord, that you would draw them to Christ, recognizing the power of the gospel, recognizing that, Jesus, you're the one that came to save, rescuing us from our fallenness, our brokenness, our sin. If it wasn't so, there'd be no hope at all. God, I pray for these that don't know you, and I leave them in your care right now. And I just want to take a moment and just pray for those of us who know you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joy. Thank you for a joy that you said in your presence is fullness of joy. Thank you for joy unspeakable and full of glory. But God, would you forgive us where we're not participating in that right now? Lord, I hold my life before you in altogether honesty and thank you for the joy I know, but admit, I know I'm not walking in it entirely. I know there's more joy for me. I know when I look at the promises of your word and what joy would look like, and it's more than I yet know. It's not your fault. I know the problem's inside me. And so God, I ask for that fix. Lord, if, if you're not first in our life, help us to seek you first in your kingdom and find our joy in you. Lord, if we have selfishly exalted ourselves, that's never going to work. You've called us to humble ourselves in your sight, to consider even others more important than ourselves. And so, Lord, if that's broken inside of us, help it to be right right now. Just move us in the right direction. And yet as you do that, Lord, I, I think about this offer of joy that is a heavenly joy, a real joy of joying in what you're doing in the world right now, joying in what you're doing in people right now, joying in those who are walking in obedience and, and loving you now, that we can look on that and find joy. Not because we did it, not because it's going to benefit us, but because it's good and they're going to be with you forever and you're working good things. draw us to that joy. I know it's there. I know we can have it. I pray for more of it. That you would just help us, Lord, fix inside of us that which keeps us from having the joy that you have for us. I pray for that, for your honor and your glory, but also for our witness. I long that the world would look on us and recognize that we have a joy, a deep-seated, real joy that they don't have. That Jesus, you as a man of joy, so attractive, that aroma of Christ, I pray that it would flow in and on and through us. Joy. I pray for more of that, for me and for all of us now, as we thank you for you and all that you're... Amen. Teach me more about joy. May that way up after the service.